If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello! This is Adam Marcus, director of Jason Goes to Hell, Secret Santa, the writer of Texas Chainsaw 3D, and the producer of the upcoming documentary, Hearts of Darkness, The Making of the Final Friday. And you're listening on the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Damn Skippy. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, and Mike, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. We really appreciate everyone who's listening. Tonight we have a super special guest on the line. The director of Jason Goes to Hell, the movie we're, we're reviewing tonight, and a more recent horror film, Texas Chainsaw 3D, Adam Marcus. I'm just going to read off a few fun facts about him, and then we're going to just give him a few questions for him to answer for us. In 1993, New Line purchased the rights to Friday the 13th for the purpose of matching up Freddy and Jason for a battle. Obviously, there was even more rights issues that caused that to be postponed for nearly another decade. Fresh off of Freddy's Dead, New Line decided to make their own Jason movie before bringing them together and brought back Sean Cunningham, who hadn't been hands-on with the franchise since it began. Cunningham wanted the supposed Final Friday to be different than the other installments to the franchise and tapped young and up-and-coming director Adam Marcus to kill Jason. Thank you, Adam, for being on our show. Adam, while at NYU, Marcus won Best Picture for his comedy film, So You Like This Girl. And at 21, Marcus set up his first feature film at Disney and less than a year later was hired to write and direct Jason Goes to Hell. Most recently released the horror movie Secret Santa, but most known for Texas Chainsaw 3D and the movie that got co-host Brian into horror back in 1993. Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Adam, thank you for joining us. Would you like to just say anything before we jump into these questions? Uh, It's just awesome to be with you guys. I'm looking forward to it. Man, we really appreciate it, honestly. My first question I have for you, Adam, is could you talk a little bit about how you got into directing and writing movies and how you really got involved with the Cunningham family and how that all tied together? Sure. So what what happened was, um, as a kid, uh, my whole family was in some way involved in the business and uh, uh, mostly actors. That was most of the most of the group. Uh, and a couple of my my family members, you guys would probably know, like uh, Ned Eisenberg, who is uh, one of the stars of the movie The Burning, yes, um, which is the first Miramax movie. Mm-hmm. He plays Eddie, 
the the guy who tries to make it with the girl in the in the in the uh, lake and then gets the uh, uh, gets stabbed with the <clears throat> shears through his neck on the on the raft. Uh, him and uh, him and that whole group of campers. Anyway, uh, my uncle uh, Joe Ellison was um, the writer and director of Don't Go in the House. Uh, the 1981 uh, uh, kind of cult classic horror movie about the guy who, the pyromaniac who burns women up. Um, my brother Kip was a, a television star and then he was a star on Broadway. And um, so I, in the mix of all of this stuff, uh, I was, you know, completely involved in the arts as a child. And my best friend growing up was Noel Cunningham, Sean Cunningham's ah, son. Okay. So Noel and I uh, were buddies since we were eight years old. And um, and then any, you know, any time, you know, I was at their house, I was around all of these kind of amazing film people, including, you know, guys like Steve Miner and Susan Cunningham and Wes Craven. Uh, so truly, I was raised among all of these sort of, you know, titans of of that, especially the horror genre. Um in fact, I, I did a reading. I did the first reading of the screenplay for A Nightmare on Elm Street for Wes. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played the Johnny nice. Depp character. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, so I was always sort of in the mix on this stuff. And when it came to Sean, I was always at their house and always underfoot and then started to kind of PA for him. Uh, and by the time I was 13, I was apprentice editing for his wife, Susan Cunningham, on the movie Spring Break. Uh, which is an incredibly inappropriate movie for a thirteen-year-old to be working on. I, I literally, I went through, I went through puberty in about about two weeks um, on that movie. So uh, yeah, so you know, this was um, sort of my training ground. And uh, when I was fifteen, I created my first theater company um, of two that I that I created in my teens, uh, and I started teaching when I was fifteen. And uh, the money that I made from teaching and from that theater company, because again, this is Westport, Connecticut. This is about 40 miles outside of Manhattan. Um, it was incredibly profitable to, to do theater. It was just a place where, you know, our theater company in high school would pay for the football team. Oh, wow. So wow. it was that kind of a situation. The, 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 awesome. In fact, the high school was built around a pre-existing theater where the doors played Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin. I mean, it was like this amazing 1,400-seat house. And so that's where I, you know, where I learned. Um, so I went to NYU using the money that I'd made at uh, creating a theater company. And, uh, and you know, in, in my time at NYU, um, I ended up winning Best Picture for a pretty, you know, it's a pretty bold comedy. Um, it's, it's kind of John Hughes meets David Mamet. Right. Um, so it's, it's a lot of kids swearing um which which seemed to go over well uh mm -hmm. but what's crazy <laughs> about that movie is that if you know um you guys ever seen reno 911 that yeah shows? yeah okay oh, yeah oh yeah so <laughs> tom lennon uh officer dangle the guy who created the show but also the guy in the super short shorts with the mustache <laughs> yeah um he was the lead of my student film what? joe latruglio Joe Latruglio, who's the star of Reno, of, of, I'm sorry, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, who yes. plays Andy Samberg's partner. Yeah. That was, the, that was yeah. the other lead of my film. Wow. What? So wow. every Man. person who was in my movie at That's NYU badass. ended up like, like these incredible careers, right? So these are all my boys. And so, um, in fact, the girl of the movie was my girlfriend at the time, a girl named Deborah Kaplan. She wrote and directed Can't Hardly Wait and Josie and the Pussycats. Okay. 
Oh, so yeah. Wow. yeah. So you know, so we had this sort of star-studded cast of people who you know weren't stars yet, but they were they were kicking ass early on. So I make this movie, and um, because the film was not considered, this is literally the dean of NYU told me this. The movie was not considered NYU enough, which meant it was funny. NYU doesn't, they're not love, they don't love that. Um, it was in color. <laughs> um, uh, no one was speaking with French subtitles. Um, so the, the movie was sort of an anti anti pretension movie in, in what is a very pretentious film school. And I loved NYU, don't get me wrong, I, I love the place. But the Dean, even though the film had swept the awards, we won Best Picture, a Cinematography Award. We won, a, the, for the first time in NYU's history, the Cast Ensemble Award, which gave every actor in the film an award for the movie. Wow. Um, we had this incredibly successful film. They would not bring it to, to Los Angeles. They would not bring it to Hollywood because it didn't represent NYU's core values. So... I had two job offers off the movie, which had just swept the awards. One was from David Lynch and Mark Frost uh, for season two of Twin Peaks to write on their staff. And the other one was from Sean Cunningham, who had moved to Los Angeles by that point. And he called me up and said, look, I'll come be my bitch for a year and I'll give you your shot. And I was like, <laughs> like any numbskull 21 year old, I was like, I'm heading to L.A. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jumped the first first plane. I had I had paid off all my student loans. I had paid off my student films. I was debt free, but I had all I had left in my pocket. I had three hundred bucks left in my pocket, and no driver's license because I'd been living in New York for four years. Mm -hmm. No need. So right. So who needs a driver's license? Well, when you get to L.A., uh 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 oh. So I bought a car for the three hundred bucks that I had. Uh, it was a 63 VW Bug Canary Yellow, which is, by the way, the exact same color as the a color and make model as the car Kevin Bacon drives in Footloose, um, <laughs> which brings me again back to Friday 13th, since Kevin is is one of the leads of the original Friday. Right. Um, so here I am living in a car, VW, mind you, that I'm that I can't drive legally because I still have no driver's <laughs> license. <laughs> So this is how I get to L.A. And what I had with me, I had brought this screenplay called Johnny Zombie. And it was a script that I, I workshopped for three, three years with my best friend in college, this guy, Dean Laurie. And so Dean and I were um, super close. We'd really crafted this script. And this was the movie I wanted to make as my debut. This was going to be my first feature film. So I bring it to Los Angeles, and I had a lot of friends from NYU who were working in catering. So I said, look, get me into any kind of like charity event. Get me to a place where people are feeling charitable, and I'll try to schmooze people and pitch them the movie. So uh, there I would show up in a tuxedo. My friends would get me in through the kitchen of like these, you know, like the Beverly Hills Hotel and stuff like this. I would swing into these charity events and mingle. And I got Roger Corman's wife to dance with me. I asked her to dance. I knew she was. I asked her to dance. Damn. We're out on the dance floor. And she's asking me about myself and asking about her and saying, oh, my God, I'm such a huge fan of you, blah, blah, blah. And we're out on the dance floor. And I pitch her Johnny Zombie. And the minute I say the words Johnny Zombie, she's like, oh, my God, I love that title. I was like, I thought you might. <laughs> so I pitch her the story. She says, I think it sounds incredible. Her and her husband were in a competition that year to see which one of them could make the fastest, cheapest movie. 
And I was like, sign me up. <laughs> so, um, so she said, send it to my office tomorrow. So then what I do is I leave that, that, that ball. I call Noel Cunningham immediately. Tell my best buddy. I say, I tell him this whole story, knowing full well that Noel will call his dad. Right. I just know it's going to happen. The next morning I'm at the office and I'm making, I'm, I'm making a copy of the script. Sean comes in, sees the script laying on my desk, goes, what's that? I said, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a movie I want to direct. He pulls it off my desk, walks into his office, slams the door. I'm like, okay, cool. Wow. Awesome. About a hundred <laughs> minutes later, he opens the door. He screams out, my yes. So I run, run down the hall to him. Uh, he sits me down. He says, okay, I hate this script, but I love the title. So I'm going to give you a million and a half. You'll go back to Connecticut and shoot this thing. I was like, what, wow. what am I going to do now? What, what, <laughs> what, what now? So, <clears throat> by the way, forgive my voice, guys. I'm, 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 I've had this flu that everybody in L.A. has had. So I'm, my, my, my voice is a little bit, little bit dead. So yeah. I, say, uh, I say, you know, look, um, that's awesome. Like, when do we get started? He said, well, first, I want to hire a real writer to write this thing to fix this. And I was like, um, no. And he's like, what do you mean, no? I said, I'm not screwing my buddy over. My buddy wrote this, and I've been workshopping this with him for years, and I'm not going to do that to him. So it's no sale if, if, you're, gonna, if you're not going to let my guy do this. And he was like, wow, the ball's on you. I said, yeah, <laughs> yep. I said, but Good. you know what? And, and this is my philosophy that I've lived with my whole life. The most dangerous guy in the room is the guy with nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. And I had nothing to lose. I'm like, mm-hmm. what am I going to lose? I'll be the same tomorrow as I am today. Okay. Right, right. Right. So he, uh, so I said, look, I said, do this, do a favor for me. Fly Dean Laurie out to LA, put the two of us up in the shittiest hotel you can find and give us your notes and let us rewrite for six weeks. Give us six weeks to fix the script. And he bought it. Nice. Really, for me, oh, wow. I was trying to get my buddy the job, and I was trying to get the fuck out of the car so that I didn't have to <laughs> sleep in the car anymore. Right. So, cut to the two of us end up at this hotel up on Sunset and the 405, and we rewrote for six weeks. When we finished, Sean loved the fucking script, just loved it. And, um, and my, with my training, and sort of one of the things that I helped Sean with a lot was that because of my theater background, I would do these stage readings of our screenplays. The same way you do a stage reading of a play. And our whole philosophy was, you know, people in Hollywood do not read. They just don't read. Um, I, I, this is a true thing. For many years, my, my agent for decade was this guy named Nick Reed. He had the single most ironic name in our industry because he <laughs> never read a script as long as I knew. Him. <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, so what I said was, I said, look, why don't we get great actors to read our scripts and then invite the executives to sit and watch a reading? Then we're reading it for them. They don't even have to fucking read it. We'll read it to them and we'll get really good people. So the very first reading of Johnny Zombie, this is true. Johnny was played by my next door neighbor for three years at NYU, Adam Sandler. What? What? Wow. Yep. And uh, you guys remember uh, the Facts of Life? Remember Mrs. Garrett from the yes. Facts of Life? Uh, yes, I do. Played, 
she played oh, yeah. Johnny's mother. I knew her. I knew Charlotte from back in oh, New York. Okay. I had the I had the the Tony Award winner uh, George Hearn who played um, Sweeney Todd on Broadway who won the Tony for that. He was playing Johnny's father. So I mean, I had this like incredible New York Broadway cast doing this reading. Well, we end up in a bidding war between New Line and Disney. They both came to both factions came to the reading. They both freaking loved it. Um, Sean, of course, being Sean, went for the money. And Disney had deeper pockets, so he of immediately course. jumped to Disney. And I was like, I kept looking at him like, Sean, wrong guys, man. They're the wrong guys to make this movie. I'm telling you, it's a mistake. So <coughs> we sell the movie to Disney. Sean has a ton of money. And the only thing that they that Disney wanted to do, they, they only had one note for the movie. The note was... Um, can you get rid of the zombies? Wow. Wow. And we're like, I was like, what? They said, we <laughs> love love everything about it. Can you get rid of the zombies? I said, but it's called Johnny Zombie. They said, yeah, about that. Could he seem like, like more, like less dead and more like tired? I was <laughs> like, oh, come on. <laughs> so that movie went into development, which was a nightmare for my buddy Dean. Um, and it ended up becoming the movie, My Boyfriend's Back. Uh, so that's the first film that i set up at disney with cunningham productions so when that when that went that way i went to sean i said look they're making an eight million dollar movie they're never gonna let me direct this film and i hate the movie they're 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 turning this into right so um and it was funny because i already chosen all the locations where the movie shot i i I had done all the work to make this movie happen so (coughs) sean said um at that point he said adam he said, you know what your greatest quality is? And I said, what? He said, you're the world's biggest nudge. He says, but that's the best thing I could say about you. And at the time, I thought he was telling me to go fuck myself. He was actually giving me a compliment. It was actually true. Because I am somebody who, like, I will not hear the word no. I just don't hear it. Right. Um, you know, and it's, it's constantly about how do we make this work. And so he said, look, he said, here's what I can do. He said, New Line is buying Friday the 13th from Paramount. If you can get that fucking hockey mask out of the movie, I'll let you direct the movie. <laughs> I was like, wow. Uh, huh. <laughs> okay. I, yeah, if that's the job, got it. So here's the thing. It's the it's the craziest fucking request for somebody to get because I'm a huge Friday fan. I'm, I'm I was there when they shot the first movie for fuck's sake. I mean, I love these movies, and now the guy is telling me, "Listen, can you get rid of the thing that everybody loves?" Right, and then you can make the movie. So, because here's the thing, you know, the 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 thing that nobody ever wants to talk about about Sean specifically is look. This guy created the first movie. The first movie is about a mom killing camp counselors for letting her son drown in the lake. That's it. That's what the movie's about. Right. Jason shows up for about 14 seconds. That's it. He hated that that part two was going to be about Jason. Hated it. He wanted to do what John Carpenter wanted to do. Which was John Carpenter didn't want to make movies about Michael Myers. He wanted to make Tales of Halloween. Shared universe, Sean, right? Exactly, right. Sean wanted, uh, Sean wanted a series of films that were about bad things that happen on Friday thirteenth, not about some kid named Jason. So, when they go to make 
uh, Friday too. They're like, we're going to make it about Jason. He was like the little kid in the lake. They said, yeah, but he's big now. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to put a sack over his head. Sean was like, oh, great. So it's the horror movie version of the elephant man. So he hated the sack, but his wife is the editor on the movie and Steve Miner, his protege, directs the film. Great. They get to part three and they're like, yeah, he's going to find a hockey mask in a barn. Like he's going to do what now? Sean <laughs> hated the hockey mask. Like this is the stupidest shit he'd ever seen. He hated the hockey mask, right? So he does not make, he has nothing to do with anything from part three to part eight. He literally has, no, all he does is cash a check. That's it. Right. He has no creative control. He doesn't do anything with it. By part, when part nine happened, Sean wanted money. Sean needed the money. Hmm. So Sean said, okay, I'll produce this movie, but I fucking hate that hockey mask. Right. So that's where I got my marching orders. And three days later, I presented him with a treatment for the movie, which he loved. We started workshopping it from there. Um, pretty soon after Dean Laurie got involved and, uh, yeah, I was 22 when we wrote the script. I was 23 when I directed the movie. Um, and uh, the movie came out a couple days after my 25th birthday. Well, so let me, Adam, Miss Brian, yeah. let me just, let, I'll say that, you know, that definitely <laughs> at 37 makes me feel like I have not done anything with my life. I don't know. Right, I was say, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> Um, were there, uh, Adam, were there other challenges to being so young um, and, and getting something like Friday the 13th? Or, or was it kind of like uh, your other script where you were just, hey, not accepting no for an answer and going for it? Um, look, here, here's the thing. I had to do a director's test for New Line, which, they, which went well. So that was good. So I did have to shoot something. But my favorite part of the director's test, the first day I go in to meet with Bob Shea, um, and it, it's hilarious. I mean, it's a beautiful office in the middle of Los Angeles and everything there's a, you know, the, a huge Freddy standee. When you walk in the door, there's all these Freddy right. toys all over the place. Um, you know, cause it's the house that Freddy built and, um, and there's Bob Shea who, you know, is not, is not what anyone would call like a, a, a sweet fellow, um, <laughs> but he, he literally, this is no joke. He gave me a, a, uh, a 20 question oral examination of horror movies. I'm not kidding. Oh, wow. Jeez. And I was like, wow, is this happening? Okay, cool. Um, and so I surprised him with a couple of my answers that I knew as much as I actually knew. And suddenly he was like, he turns to Sean and goes, well, he doesn't suck. <laughs> and wow. Mike DeLuca, Mike DeLuca turns to me and like gives me a thumbs up. He's like, you got it. Um, so then I had to go shoot, you know, I had to shoot a director's test when I was casting the movie. And when I was, um, uh, and getting my crew, I had a full beard and I've had, like, I, I was one of those kids, like in, in my mid teens, I could grow a beard. So here I have this full beard. Um, I cast everybody. I do all my work so that people think I'm young, but they don't know how young I am. On my first day of production, we were shooting in uh, in July and August in Los Angeles. So it was fucking hot. So I was like, if I don't shave this beard off, I'm going to die. So I shaved the beard and mustache. I get to set. My cinematographer, who is a, who's an amazing guy and a friend to this day, 
he says in front of my hundred person crew, he says, how the fuck young are you? Oh, wow. And I was <laughs> like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, it's like, ugh, I'm pretty young, dude. Uh, here's the thing. Um, to this day, I'm still the youngest writer-director hired by a major studio. Oh, um, yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Yes, Thank is. you. Thanks, man. Thank <laughs> you. Um, here, here's the thing. I... Um, while I was very lucky and I felt very lucky because I've been working in the business since I was 11, I don't think of it as like, oh, I just showed up. You know what I mean? Right. And when I was in New York, when I was at NYU, I worked for a company called R. Greenberg and Associates. And I worked on things like Goodfellas. Right. And wow. Silence of Lambs. And, you know, like I worked with amazing filmmakers and, and doing this like really cool FX work in New York. So... <clears throat> I had already been around some incredible movie makers and I kind of was like, fuck it, man. I got a job. I'm going to do this job. And so the first, I will tell you this, the first day I get to set, I had a shot list uh, that was almost 50 shots long, five oh zero. Um, now, when I was making my own movies, when I was a student filmmaker, I could do that easy. When you're working with a crew of over a hundred people, no, like, you can't do that. So my first AD looks at my list, walks over to Sean and goes, uh, Sean? Of course, then dad runs over. Marcus, what the hell's wrong with you? You got to cut this in half. You can't even have half these shots. Wow. So there is a photograph of me at a picnic table that it, they had set up for lunch before I shoot anything. And I'm sitting there with my pen in my hand and my shot list, tearing my shot list to pieces. Right, combining shots, so you're gonna have to do it. Um, I shot 27 shots that day, which was amazing, right? Amazing. Nobody could believe that we got that much. By the time we finished the shoot, though, our average per day was 39 shots a day. That was our average. Damn. I don't I don't listen to people who tell me that it can't be done. I think that's bullshit. You can do anything, you can make any movie on any budget. It, it's so easy to make it all about money, to make it all about stuff. The truth is, Jason Goes to Hell was made in a tiny budget, much smaller than any of the Paramount films other than the first movie. Right. right. So mm. we made the movie for two and a half million dollars. Mm -hmm. And I had 37 shooting days. I had an effect and a stunt working every single day of the show. I have, for my money, one of the most expensive looking of the films. And look, from an effect standpoint, no one, no one comes close to the effects in Jason Goes to Hell as oh, far as the Friday franchise. Absolutely. I mean, I, it is, I agree 100%. It is just, it is splatterpunk, that movie. So, um, and look, I had KNB, I had, you know, I had Bob Kurtzman and Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger when they were trying to prove themselves on every freaking job. Like, they're amazing. Bob Kurtzman is still one of my best friends. And, uh, and we work together to this day. And the thing is, is that, you know, those guys, I know that can be lost money on Jason Goes to Hell. Greg Nicotero wanted to kill me um, because I, I, we kept spending money and it, I wasn't asking them to. It's just the guys, Bob and Howard, would get so excited about an effect. They would like, they would go nuts on making sure that it was perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I wasn't really intimidated. I got to tell you this, my youth... Um, I think has been more of a problem for the people who don't like the movie. 
So right. they chalk it up to, oh, this fucking guy didn't know anything, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Um, and that's fine. That's fine. If that's how people feel, that's how people feel. Right. But um, for me, I, I never really saw it as a hindrance that I was young. It, I, I, I love movies so much and I love the franchise so much. Um, I was super fucking prepared. I knew what I wanted to achieve with the movie. I knew what I was trying to say. I rehearsed my actors for weeks before the film. That never happened on any other Friday the 13th film. Um, I chose actors that weren't all like hot teenagers. I chose like everybody from teenagers all the way through to like older people in the movie because I wanted to have an incredible cast of great actors. And when I called all them up and said, look, I'm giving you my time for free. Anybody who wants to, to rehearse, let's do it. Right. And there are actors in that movie to this day who I'm still close with who will call me up and go, I still can't believe we actually had rehearsals on a fucking Friday the 13th movie. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> why wouldn't we? You know? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, it was never really, um, no, not intimidating. That's for sure. Awesome. Well, you uh, you touched on this just a, a little bit with Cunningham and the view he had on the movie versus what you were wanting to do with it and and to get rid of the, the fucking hockey mask. Um, mm -hmm. I know that there's I know that there's some uh, YouTube video floating around from a convention where he was asked about, yeah. you know, saying saying that and, and he lied about it. Um, can yep. you kind of set the record straight on that a little bit? Sure. Look, <laughs> the um, uh, Secret Santa has been touring recently um, and, and we've done 22 festivals around the world. And this question comes up a lot because sometimes they'll show Jason Goes to Hell and Secret Santa back to back at these, at these festivals. Right. Um, when the question comes up, I always tell everybody in the audience, I'm like, great, everybody take out your cell phone, please. And feel free to post this to YouTube. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking you to post it to YouTube. I said, okay, I want everybody to imagine a scenario where a 22-year-old kid who's just graduated NYU, moved to LA. That 22-year-old kid is standing in the office of one Sean S. Cunningham. Sean Cunningham, at the time, is in his 50s, okay? And he is Sean Cunningham, creator of Friday 13th franchise, of the House franchise. This is a big filmmaker. And one of two things happens. Either Sean says, Sean says, Adam, what do you want to do with, with your Friday 13th movie? And I say, well, the first thing I want to do is get rid of that fucking hockey mask. And Sean says, wow, Adam, you're so powerful and so <laughs> moving in your passion for this pro. I will totally get rid of the iconic hockey mask in my hugely successful franchise. And that makes me the most powerful 22-year-old to ever take breath. Right. Or, or, Sean Cunningham said, hey, Adam, get the fucking hockey mask out of the movie and I'll let you write and direct the film. And I said, whatever you need, boss. Got it. <laughs> right, Which right, makes right. me a good soldier. Yes, it does. So now, so here's the deal. So either Sean Cunningham is a fucking eunuch that a 22-year-old film school brat tells what to do, or Sean Cunningham is a fucking liar. So either way, I come out looking great. Either I am so <laughs> powerful, I change the course of horror history all on my own. <laughs> being told to do. I'll take the one. I'll right. take either whatever. Right. 
Right. Either he's a I, I'm good. Good. I'm good either way. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry, he broke up. Are we there? Okay. Hey, okay, hey Adam. Now. Hey, Adam. Can can you repeat that about uh, changing horror history one more time? It kind of went out for a little bit. We couldn't hear you. <laughs> sure. Sure. You got it, guys. Um, so either, either uh, this guy, either I am the most powerful 22-year-old who ever lived, and I changed the course of horror cinema history. Or I was a good soldier doing what I was asked to do. On the, on the flip side of it, Sean is either a total puss or he's a fucking liar. So <laughs> right. I'll take either one. Now, literally, the volley is set back to Sean. He can say whatever kind of bullshit he wants. The truth is, is that Sean should actually, I know, I know a lot about Sean. Again, I've been around since I was, since I was eight years old in his house. Um, Sean is a renowned liar and most of the people who have ever worked with him know that ask Victor Miller, how Sean oh, is yeah. on being, on being a legitimate dude. Okay. And here's the thing. Sean should start to worry about his own integrity before questioning anybody else's. <laughs> I was a kid. I loved Sean. Sean was like a father to me. And when Sean pulled that shit, I was like, you know what, man? Right. This is why your kids don't like you. Wow. 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 Yeah. No, I love it. So I, I, I mean, they kind of touch on that in the in the in the big long like nine hour Friday the Thirteenth documentary. They touch on that. So I'm glad yeah. you touched on it on our show. Um. So so piggybacking off of that, by the way, this is Mike. Um. <laughs> hey, Mike. Did you have your own different version of what you wanted the movie to be? Like maybe in a perfect world without getting told to get rid of the hockey mask, the iconic mask, what would you have done different? <laughs> was there another script at all? Or did, did you have anything that may have tied into the first eight films? Well, here, yes, I did. I did actually. And what's really frustrating is um, uh, originally the character of Stephen Freeman played by John D. LeMay, that character was supposed to be Tommy Jarvis. Okay. The problem oh, is, man. is that the deal that Sean and New Line made with Paramount was so fucking terrible yeah. that the only thing we could use was Jason. We could only use stuff from the first movie. We couldn't use anything past that, including the name Friday 13th. I was going to say, you couldn't, right, you couldn't use the name. That's right, right. Right. So I couldn't have Tommy Jarvis. I wanted it to be the end of the Tommy Jarvis saga. I wanted Tommy to finish off Jason. That was kind of the whole thing. Right. And wow. so suddenly they're saying to me, you can't have Tommy. I'm like, Okay, so that was a huge change to the movie. Right. The other thing, <clears throat> my first treatment for the film was much, much darker. Like, guys, really fucking dark. Um, I mean, <laughs> well, we so, love that. So. <laughs> like, even more violent than the movie is as it is now. Wow. Um, it was. It was this very kind of raw, angry movie because I kind of felt like, well. You know, part six does the comedy so brilliantly. I was like, well, I was worried about going comedy, even though that's what I ended up doing with Jason Goes to Hell. Um, but my first take on the material was more about Jason's brother, Elias. And this is back when Elias was not his father. That was something that was invented in Jason Goes to Hell when we ended up using the name Elias. But Elias was originally Jason's brother. 
And and here was the thing. Elias was the brother that mommy didn't like. So you can imagine how bad that brother is. Like if she loves Jason, right. imagine mm-hmm. the kid she doesn't love. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it was this sort of struggle for supremacy between these two kids, between Jason and, and Elias. We had a lot of flashback stuff. It guys, it was fucking ugly. It was an ugly ass movie. Wow. Um, yeah. So yes, I definitely had a different, uh, different movie in my head at the beginning. I will tell you, um, Look, if I was given a chance to make a Friday 13th movie, let's say today, right? If someone said, you can do whatever you want with the franchise, go for it. The movie I would make is my favorite thing about Jason Goes to Hell. My favorite creation of that movie is Creighton Duke. Oh, I love that character, by the way. Thank you, brother. Thank you. For me, I would kill to do Creighton Duke takes a group of trained military guys into the woods of Camp Crystal Lake, and they hunt Jason Predator style. I was about to say, that's awesome as Predator. Hell yeah. Like, that to me, like, because here's the thing, like, I'm so tired, like, you know, there's all this talk about if they can get the lawsuit settled, which they're never going to settle, by the way, guys, sorry. Um, If they can get that, yeah, if they can can get the lawsuit settled, um, you know, what will, uh, like, what would a Friday 13th movie be? People are like, I think it should be in the snow. Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. It, it, like, <laughs> I'm like, I think it should be in a rainforest. Oh, whatever. How about this, guys? How about make something that we haven't seen 47 times now? And which is hey, why man. Jason, which is why Jason goes Thank to hell you. is what it is. I love that. Like, by the way. I love that franchise. And you know, part six is is absolutely my favorite of the movies. I I, I really do love that film. I think Tommy yep. McLaughlin did an incredible job in that movie. Yep. Here's the thing. Part seven is good and the makeup is incredible. Right. But, okay, guys, it's Jason versus Carrie. Right. They were so out of ideas at that point. They're like, we'll put a psychic in the woods. Okay. Yeah, we reviewed that. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go into part eight, and part eight is on the face of it, the baddest dude in the world in the baddest city in the world. Awesome. Great premise. You hear that, Nico? That's not the movie. The movie is Jason Takes a Boat Ride. Thank you. Thank you. Someone else so, said it. Thank you. He's on a boat for more Nico than two thirds shook. of the movie. Then he arrives, then he arrives in, 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 in Canada. He's not even in New York. He's in Times Square for a couple seconds. And again, I wanted that movie. Like, guys, I don't know if you remember the teaser for Jason Takes Manhattan. Holy shit. The teaser was incredible. They played Frank Sinatra's My Way as they're closing in on Jason from behind. And you oh could see God. New York, the skyline, and, you know, ahead of him. And when he turned around, I'm telling you, I'm in the movie theater. I'm, I'm in, I think I was in college at the time. And I'm screaming at the screen. And I'm like, fuck yeah. They didn't give us that movie. They, they didn't give us that movie. Right. And so when we when we get to part nine, I was so desperate to go like, guys, can we make a movie that like all the people who had grown up with the Friday the 13th franchise were now look. And I was young when the first Friday came out. I'm 12 years old, 11, I'm 11 years old. OK, we're all in our 20s now. Can we actually have a movie that like as adults were psyched to go see? And for me, if I got to watch a bunch of dumb campers get slaughtered, I, what's the point? 
What's the point? Right. I'd rather go watch the other movies, which are fucking great. Like, I don't need another one of those after part four. Part four is fucking brilliant. Right. Who needs another dumb campers in the woods movie? Mm. Give me something cool. And so mm. for me, um, Jason Goes to Hell was, was a chance to, to fix the mythology, which was so fucked up in these movies. Yes. Um, and then to, to bring it into an adult universe. And so for me, look, Creighton Duke, I think Creighton Duke and Tommy Jarvis joining forces to kill Jason, that movie to me is a, is a fucking badass. Oh, that so, sounds awesome to me, man. <laughs> I'm on board. I'm on, I'm on board <laughs> That's with that movie 100%. I would Love Creighton Duke. Hey, man, I just want to say you hit the nail on the head about Jason Takes Manhattan. Now, I, I, I just needed to point that out to you. Okay. By the way, by the way, look, here's the thing. And, and listen, <laughs> I am not here's here. And this is really the truth of it. Other than the remake and, and Freddy versus Jason, I, I am really not a hater on any of these movies. I love these movies and I've watched Jason takes Manhattan like 12 times. Right. So I dig those flicks. I dig those flicks. Okay. I know. I know. It's terrible. Um, Here's the thing. I was I was the right age when those movies came out. I love those films. But at some point, you do have to look at it logically and go, wow, really? Right. I mean, guys, come on. I mean, I know it's everybody's favorite bit, but when he punches the kid's head off, when he punches Julius's head off, come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> come on now. Come on. You know, like physics exists in the universe so even in friday 13 movies physics has to make some sense <laughs> and by the way and by the way just so that you guys understand look with jason goes to hell in particular um you know my biggest problem with the friday franchise and by the way it kind of lines up to some degree with sean's okay is that between part one and part two it's a couple weeks, guys. A couple mm -hmm. weeks pass between those two movies, right? Right. Okay. How did Jason go from being a hydrocephalic-headed teenager who's been I've... drowned for 30 years into a six-foot-some monster who has somehow f figured out how to drive, gotten mm -hmm. a full suit of clothes... Used the yellow pages at the time because he found where Alice lives. Evolution, Snuck baby. into her house with mom's head, hit right. the head, hid himself, waited for her to show up, killed her, then dragged her body and mom's head both back to Crystal Lake to put in his shrine. That's just from the first to the second movie, guys. Right. So logic-wise, I'm just sitting there going, wait a second. We're not all this stupid, are we? Right. Like, this is insulting. Mm -hmm. So it was why, um, and look, it, don't even get me started on, you know, Roy in part five, and uh, it's just like, on and on and on. Oh, um, yeah. And then he, and then he becomes, <laughs> you know, then you he becomes zombie Jason. Oh. And here's what I love. I love that everybody's okay with zombie Jason. Well, he's zombie Jason now. Okay, that's new mythology, whatevs. When we got to part nine, my response to it was, and you can even see it in the opening scene of the movie. This guy's killed over 130 people in a one mile radius. 130 people. Right. Guys, that's not a local law enforcement issue anymore. That's a feds issue. That's mm -hmm. a that's the most prolific serial killer in the history of the country. The feds get in on that. So that's why they do this thing at the top of the movie, why the feds come. 
when it came to Jason's being Jason, I was like, all right, if his mom is so crazy to have her son back, if everything is motivated by her love for her son, wouldn't she look to any route to get him back? And thereby, wouldn't she look for things like the dark arts and use the Necronomicon and bring her son back? And suddenly you've got, I know it's not a specific deadite, but you'd have some version of something tinged by the darkness. And for me, I'm sorry, Jason as Hell's assassin is way cooler than the drowned kid from the 50s with the hydrocephalic head who murders teenagers. Right. Sorry, it's cooler. I Uh want to watch a movie about Hell's assassin. So that's what Jason Goes to Hell was sort of predicated on. Awesome. Oh, so hey. uh, what hey, I yeah, go ahead, Drew. <laughs> so what I got for you is like, so uh, <coughs> you're greatly involved with your fans on your uh, on Facebook in a group yeah. uh, which Brian is a part of, and called Jason Goes to Hell, the final fan group. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, what made you decide to want to embrace and interact with the fans so much of this movie the way you do? Sure, sure. Um, Here's the thing. I, I have always, since since the first movie came out, I have always been that way with my fans. Um, and I got to tell you, I've been sucker punched many times. Like I've had people who, like I'm at a convention and they want to take me to drinks and we sit down to have a drink and the person launches into how much they fucking hate me and hate my movie. Um, and and I got to tell you, I've had, my, my, my best friend is a guy named John Esposito who... Um, he wrote Stephen King's Graveyard Shift. He produced and was uh, the one of the co-writers on From Dust Till Dawn. Um, John's won the uh, Writers Guild Award two years in a row for The Walking Dead. He's, he's a fucking badass writer. He's amazing. John was sitting at me one of these events where, the, where this guy pulled this shit with me. And John jumped up from his seat to punch this guy out. Like, literally just take him out. And I pulled him back. And I'm like, John, stop, 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 stop. Here's the thing. Um... M- the people who hate Jason Goes to Hell um, tend to hate that there's that there's not enough hockey mask in the movie. Mm. Because when I take them down the line on the movie, when I just kind of break down the movie for them, I go, okay, great. I go, so tell me the stuff that you liked or didn't like. So did you think it was really gory? Oh, yeah, yeah. So the yeah. kills were good. Great awesome. Some of the best kills in the, in the franchise. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and they, and they invariably go, you know, the girl split up the middle in the tent. I'm like, yep, 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 all good. Um, did you like the characters in the movie? Yeah, no, they were good. They were fun. The acting was good. Yeah, it was good. Did it look good? Was it shot well? Yeah, no, it looks, it looks great. How about the music? Oh, well, it's Harry Manfredini. Music kicks ass. I literally go down the line on everything in the movie, and then I go, and there's Jason body hopping. Fucking hate it, man. Fucking hate it. Why is that in the movie? Like, okay, so you have a problem that what if each person who got infected by Jason wore a hockey mask? Well, I mean, that wouldn't suck as bad. I'm like, got it. So this is about not enough hockey mask. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are six movies that come before my movie, two, three movies after my movie, full of hockey mask. You have nine movies about a hockey mask and you can enjoy them forever but if you look at jason goes to hell again and just look at it as here is a little bit of explanation for the audience saying hey we gave jason more of a reason for being 
everybody ends up calming down and I will actually get a lot of people to kind of change their opinion on it. And I'm not, look, my favorite thing is when somebody who hated the movie says, you know what? It's actually kind of a kick-ass horror movie. I just don't like it as part of the Friday franchise. I go, that's cool. Fair. And again, everybody is entitled to their opinions. I've never told anybody they're not. That's mm -hmm. totally, if you hate my movie, cool. Here's the thing. I don't understand filmmakers that don't respect their fans. I don't get it. I've never gotten it. When I was a kid, um, Dick Smith was so kind to me, was so good to me when I was 12 and I met him for the first time to get his autograph. And I was at a Fangoria convention back when like nobody went to cons. There were like 300 right. people at this whole thing all weekend. And I'm telling you, you know, the people who were wonderful I remember those people to this day, and a lot of them I've become friends with in the industry. The people who were dicks, who were there for the money and nothing else, fuck those guys. The horror community is the best fucking community of filmgoers. They just hey, are. Man. They're hardcore. They're hardcore. And they care about these movies. These movies are in, in some way like religion for them. And when I look at that and I say, okay, so my responsibility to those people is as long as you're cool with me, I'm going to be super fucking cool with you. I, I look, I am a fan. So I know what it feels like to get treated not well by somebody. So I would never put that on to one of my fans. That being said, look, when it came down to the final Friday group, um, TJ Bowser and Corey Kaufman are the two guys who created that group. And they created it on my birthday this year. As a present, it was really sweet. And I, I barely knew, knew these guys. TJ had interviewed me once, and he's this totally sweet guy. And <clears throat> I thought, okay, cool. They'll make a little Friday group. That's sweet. But guys, it, it grew so fast. It was so many people so quickly. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And suddenly there's, you know, 150 posts a day on the thing. And I'm like, okay, well, you know what? If people are going to take time out of their day to write something nice or to put up a, po a picture or a drawing they've done or some cool shit, I'm absolutely going to say something nice about it. I'm going to interact with everybody who's on this thing. And I got to tell you guys, um, you know, before the, the fan page, I was going to do the documentary of the film, um, the, the Hearts of Darkness, uh, the making of Final Friday. I was going for private financing on that movie. Right. When that fan page blew up, I was like, oh, fuck no, we're crowdfunding this sucker. Like, I'm putting this out to the group. And guys, we're overfunded. We have more wow. money than we, than we asked for. So there's this kind of wonderful surge of, of fandom happening around the film. I think a lot more people have discovered it and found out, like, this movie is kind of cool and, and, and has some badass stuff in it. Um, and if people are enjoying it and, and, um, uh, finding a pathway to it, I am not going to be the dick who has a chip on my shoulder because there's some people who didn't like my movie. Oh, get over yourself. <laughs> so that's why I, you know, I, I'm, I am all about the people who love these movies because right. they're, I, I don't, I don't even think of them as fans. I, I, they're sort of brothers and sisters in arms. That's awesome. Love it, man. Hey, Adam. Yeah. Yep. I have one more uh, script question, but I actually just came up with one um, sure. just for my own personal sake. <laughs> if you want to answer it, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. Okay. Go for it, dude. My, my only question have was, fun. Let's do it. You, you brought up Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Um, if, if you had the opportunity, 
because I had problems with what Ronnie Yu did to the Jason character, making him scared of water. I hate that with all my heart. If, if you had too. the opportunity to direct and write that, what would you do in that film? I'm just curious. This is just me asking as a fan. No, no, no. Um, so that you guys know, I was actually asked to come in and pitch on the movie. Um, oh, wow. Right after, right after, here, here's the thing. Um, when Jason Costell came out, it, it made a shit ton of money for New Line. And, and, and in fact, it ended up becoming um, not, we, we, we were, um, we came in number two at the box office on the, on the weekend we opened because The Fugitive had been opened, um, oh. which was awesome because the front cover of Variety uh, said, number one goes to fugitive rest of box office goes to hell. And I still nice. have that. I have that front page on my wall in my office. Nice. Um, here's the thing. Jason goes to hell was the biggest home video new line had ever put out. Made more money because they put it out in a director's cut and in the theatrical cut. It's the first video ever to be put out in two cuts at the, when it, when it came out, when it first came out. So New Line ended up literally making double the money they'd made on anything else they'd ever put out. So it was a huge hit for them. So I had a three-picture deal at New Line. One of the movies they had me come in on was, was Freddy vs. Jason. They wanted to know what my take was. My take on Freddy vs. Jason was I wanted to do a movie where Jason's in hell at the top of the film, okay? And the way you play that out is that the opening of the movie is a boiler room sequence. You play a Freddy boiler room. Freddy is chasing some teenager in a boiler room, blah, blah, blah. It's the thing you've seen a million times. He's just about to slice open this teenager when suddenly he gets punched right in the face. Goes flying back, standing there is Jason. Teenager runs away, right? I think you guys lost somebody, by the way. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay, good. Right. Okay. All right. So gets punched right in the face, right? And the two of them start brawling, right? You get this like total brawl between these two, these two maniacs. And uh, <coughs> excuse me. And so suddenly the floor starts to shake. It breaks open between the two of them, pulls them both to far sides of an abyss. And we suddenly realize we're in hell. And it's Freddie and Jason stuck in hell. And their hell is constantly stopping each other from getting their victims. Oh, wow. Here's the wow. thing. Hell is too small for these two dudes. Okay? So the darkness comes up with the plan to send both of them back to Earth. Only one of them can stay. And the idea is who ends up murdering the most teenagers? The prize, the prize at the end of the route is Nancy, Tommy, Whoever can get Nancy and Tommy will rule over hell. I mean, sorry, will rule over Earth. Will be hell's assassin on Earth. The other one gets sent back to hell. What I then threw in was I threw Creighton Duke in there to protect Nancy and Tommy. And basically, it's a road movie of Nancy, Tommy, and Creighton Duke against Freddie and Jason coming after him. And that's the whole film. It's just simple chase movie. He's got to kill them, and they're killing people all along the route as they're going. So it was just a fucking bloodbath. It was like, don't overthink it. Make it a fucking bloodbath. Right. Don't have a shit ton of rules. Just uh -huh. kill motherfuckers and bring back Nancy and Tommy. That's what the fans want. They want Nancy and Tommy. Bring all them right. back. That's awesome. So that was the move. Um, 
So yes, I, I did come in on that one. Um, here's the thing. Look, that movie just took too fucking long to get made. That's the problem with that movie. Right. Um, Ronnie Yu has been very open in saying he did not, he had never seen a Friday the 13th movie. He had no wow. interest in seeing a Friday the 13th movie. Wow. Um, he, he fucked over Kane Hodder so bad. Yes, he did. So bad. And, um, and I get what Ronnie was trying to do as far as the visuals of it. He wanted a bigger, monstrous Jason to go up against Freddy. I get it. I sit there going, you know, Kane Hodder takes that role as seriously as Anthony Hopkins takes play right. Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yep. you have to have respect for the actor. You have to have respect. I mean, look, when, when, when it came to Jason Goes to Hell, we didn't talk about different Jasons. I just went, well, we're getting Kane, right? And they're like, yeah, Kane wants to do it. I'm like, yeah, done. Not only Perfect. did we hire Kane, right. I hired Kane as the stunt coordinator for the whole film. So I'm like, no, he- there is no Friday 13th without Kane Hodder. What are we talking he, uh, about? He also has an unmasked kill in that movie. <laughs> he right? sure does. Yeah. Love that. Love that. He's also the hand of, uh, of Freddy. Oh, wow. That's cool as shit. He pulls his own mask. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, no, look, um, you know, I, I, I think it, it, you guys remember that great, that great scene where Jason is taking a nap. And all the kids are around the, the table, their little pot table, and they're they're talking about how they're, you know, like, how are we going to stop Freddy? How are we going to use Jason to stop Freddy? Remember that scene? Right. Dead yeah. in the movie? Yeah. Right. Um, I literally, as the scene was happening in the movie, I'm sitting in the theater, I turned to my wife, who's my writing partner, I turned to her and I said, Deb, um, that sounds like an executive meeting. Right. That sounds like they just recorded what all the executives in the room were telling the writers on what should we do to get rid of Freddy. Mm. And then they just wrote it down as a scene. I, guys, that movie, I am so baffled by Freddy versus Jason. I, I just, I go like, and again, it made $100 million, guys. So the audience responded. You know, they wanted mm-hmm. to see it. Um, I just think what a shame that we couldn't have gotten the movie that the fans really deserved because they Agreed. didn't get the movie they deserved. Right, right, right. I agree. 100%. Agreed. All right, Adam, the last question that we have for you, well, besides uh, Drew's bonus question, <laughs> you most recently finished Secret Santa. Could you talk to us a little bit about that and any other projects that you're working on or would like to play? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, <laughs> what happened was when um, when Texas Chainsaw came out and Deborah and I were asked to come to a screening of the movie and they had changed so much of what we had created um, for the worse. For example, guys, in our version of that movie, there was no cell phone. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, okay. Because it's the movie takes place in 1993. So there are no smartphones in 1993. Right. right. Um, the movie, Alexandra Daddario, given the timeline they'd created, Alexandra Daddario would have to be in her mid-40s. Um, Alexandra Daddario is in her early 20s in that movie. So that's fucking stupid. Um, second, they, um, they weakened almost all of our kills, and um, they added the line, uh, do your thing, cuz, um, mm. which truly is the soundtrack of my nightmares. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. 
you know, it's awesome when you write a movie for studios because you get paid a lot of money. And I've spent most of my career doing just that, writing movies for studios. Right. Um, and it's been awesome. And I'm very, very grateful to have had that opportunity. The problem is, is that you don't make that much. You make a lot of money, but you don't make the kind of money that's going to like that. You know, you're going to go sail off, you know, sail the ocean the rest of your life. Right. Um, you still have to work. You still have to have a job. And here's the thing. I didn't get into movies to just have a job. I got into the film industry because I love making movies and telling stories. I love the craft of what I do. And when you work for the studios, you have no say-so. So whatever they want to change, they're going to change. And by the way, they have every right to do so. It's their money. I get it. Right. So I... uh, Deborah and I had really had it. We were just so fucking tired of people changing shit. And I went, turned to one of my closest friends, a guy named Brian uh, Sexton, who uh, was a producer for me on my Val Kilmer movie, Conspiracy. Uh, okay. If you guys had, well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that was, that was another nightmare because uh, Val was drunk and or stoned every single day of the movie. I can um, believe it. I can between, believe it. Between three to six hours late every single day of production. And on day six of the movie, he kicked me in the nuts uh, and laid me out in the middle of my set for no reason. Oh, my God. For literally no reason. He was just so fucking high. So anyway, um, I had really had it with studio filmmaking. I was like, this is how studios make fucking movies now? What is this? Right. So... Brian was tired of making movies this way. I was, Deb was. And so we created something called Skeleton Crew. And Skeleton Crew is our production company where the idea being that it puts the, it puts the storytelling back in filmmakers' hands. So almost in a full circle idea, I'm kind of building what Roger Corman used to do, which is we make movies for a lower budget, but the filmmaker gets the money and then right. go make your movie. Just make your movie. Right. Um, and it's more about writing than it is about how much money can we pour on special effects. Mm-hmm. So Secret Santa was the first film out of this company. Um, I wrote and directed it. Uh, it was written in 20 days. <laughs> we shot the movie in 11 nights one day. Um, and it is absolutely hands down the movie I'm the most proud of. Um, it's play, it's been in 22 festivals around the world. The movie is now, we sold it to Australia, Germany, the UK. Uh, we've done our own distribution in North America. Uh, the movie is like dirty and lean and funny and fucking badass gory. Uh, Bob Kurtzman came in, did the whole movie side by side with me. He even shot second camera on the film. That's awesome. And he did all the effects in the movie. Um, I even recycled a couple of effects from Jason goes to hell that I've kept in my, in my garage all these years and brought them out to set and redressed them. And they were used again. Nice. Um, And not only that, but the performers in the film are all people. I, I teach acting to this day in LA. I've been teaching her since I first moved out here. And, I've got a studio that I run right next to Sony Studios in Culver City. And so I've got 60 actors that I work with every every week. And these are people, like most of them, you would know their faces because they work all the time in TVs and movies. Right. 
But there are people that you wouldn't know their names. There's a couple you would know their names, but most of them you wouldn't know their names. And so I'm like, why is it that every movie is star fucking? Like every role, it, like everything feels like the love boat now. Like you got nine people mm-hmm. in the movie. Right. Instead of a movie star and then a lot of really good actors. Right. And so this gave my actors a platform to suddenly be able to do the kind of work they've been working on their whole lives. But they usually only get five lines on a CSI spinoff. So it became this kind of collective. And when the name Skeleton Crew refers to the fact that, you know, beyond the fact that we're doing genre material, a lot of that, we are also all about everybody is hands on deck. So the way I used to run my theater company is now the way I run my film company, where, you know, if there's a sandbag, grab it, let's move it. Right. So there's no egos, there's no bullshit. It's just, let's all get the story told. And I got to tell you, man, like I have more fun on my sets now than I've ever had. <laughs> there's never a fight. There's never conflict because everybody is like psyched and it's their movie. They get to feel like it's theirs too. Right. Right. So Secret Santa was the first one out of the gate. We've got a huge movie that we're doing this year um, with Lionsgate with, uh, with Skeleton Crew. I can't tell you oh, who the, there's a, there's a movie star in this movie who at one time was the biggest box office star on planet earth. I'm not kidding. Wow. Um, okay. We're so excited about this movie, guys. It's crazy. Uh, it's called Velocity. It's an action movie. Uh, it's a th- action thriller. Um, we've got that one coming. We've got a great movie called Fat Camp Massacre that we're doing this year, um, which is kind of a Friday 13th meets Get Out kind of movie. So it's it's okay. sort of what Get Out was. What Get Out was for people of color, this movie is for people of size. Okay. Oh. So it's a big fuck you to sizes. Um, so we're doing that one. We have another huge horror thing coming. I can't say the title yet because it's going to be announced in the next few days. Um, but we have another big, big kind of Blumhouse-y kind of movie. Okay. Um, very much like The Ring, like the original The Ring. Or right. It Follows in that area. Um, so we've got that coming. Um, and I've got a film that I'm directing uh, in April called this perfect day which is sort of like a wedding movie meets jacob's ladder Ooh, yeah i like the title i like awesome. the title. thanks man thank you brother appreciate it appreciate it so so that's um that's the stuff we're working on right now um and yeah man it's look skeleton crew has it's been for me kind of a rebirth in my career where I feel like I'm making stuff that I, like everything I make, you know, when, when, when we would get a bad review for, let's say Texas Chainsaw, we get a bad review and they would talk about the shit that we didn't do. Right. And would be like, well, I didn't earn this bad review. Uh, damn it. Right. <laughs> Here's the thing. If I'm going to get a bad review, I want it to be for something I actually did. Right. That's what skeleton crew does is it's putting the art back in the artist's hands. And that's just the coolest thing in the world. I, and I got to tell you that, like, I think there's a nice big groundswell of independent cinema that's happening right now. That's really exciting. Deb, my wife, Deborah, who my, my, my writing partner, who's also one of the leads of Secret Santa. She's fucking incredible, guys. Um, Deborah right now is on Deborah Voorhees' set for 13 Fanboy right now in New Mexico. She and two nice. of my actors just drove out there to be in Deborah's oh, okay. new, new film. awesome. Um, so there's like this really cool groundswell of independent film that's happening that, you know, I, 
I think independent voices are going to matter more, especially for the horror community than anything the studios are making. Because guys, I mean, I don't know if you've been suffering through the stuff that the studios have been putting out, but wow. I mean, wow. It's rough out there. Yes, it is. You know, there are a few exceptions, without doubt. Right. But I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And so for me, um, I want to see horror kind of go back into being a brave new world. So that's uh, that's what I hope Skeleton Crew and Secret Santa contribute to. Hey, Adam, before uh, Drew asks his uh, <laughs> final funny question, I just wanted to sure. comment on uh, Texas Chainsaw 3D. Yeah, please um, touch on that. I actually just, all I wanted to say was whenever the girl I was dating, when that movie came yeah. out, we went and saw it and uh, we both liked it. And after that, uh, I went home. And we made sweet passion love, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Dude, however so, I can be of service. Hey, and real quick, so, to touch on so 3D. I, I appreciate right. that. And, and, and by awesome. the way, I know we're not talking about that movie here, but I actually thought it was some like kind of like Jason Goes to Hell. At least it was different. I Absolutely. Did, I enjoyed that film. <laughs> I really did. What's here's the thing that's kind of that's kind of heartbreaking for me about it is that. Um, and by the way, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't think it's right. the movie it should have been. Right. Um, Toby Hooper read that script before he passed away when we were when we first delivered the script. Wow. Toby called me at home and said to me, Adam, this is the only true sequel to my original film. Wow. That's good. That's I was big. like, what? I'm like, I, literally, like, I was like, I can go lay down in a box now. I'm done. Right. I've, I've <laughs> lost life. Yes. Yeah. You know, so look, um. Uh, guys, I mean, I'll give you one example. Uh, before the third act of that movie originally, the place where everything was going to go bad was a slaughterhouse, okay? And um, and slaughterhouses in Texas are many times right next to um, the farm where the cows have been raised, where the cattle's actually been raised. So we had a stampede of a 1,000 head of cattle in 3D with Leatherface walking through the cattle with the wow. chainsaw. Okay. That to me was like the poster image. Like I want to see that right. on a poster. No kidding. Okay? Right. right. That's a badass they, scene, by the way. Like, thank ah. you. They gutted the budget so dramatically that, oh. that, that, that you're never going to see that scene. Right. And that guys, I'm telling you, that's the tip of the iceberg. We had dozens when, um, <laughs> when the van flips over and Alexander Dario and, and her boyfriend are in the van, uh, Trey Songs, uh, who, who played in the movie, right? Um, in the way they, that, it, that it got shot, you know, Trey Songs dies from like some glass, cuts his throat. I was like, okay, that's just fucking lame. Um, Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thank yes. you. In oh, our me, yes. in our in our original script for the movie, the van flips over and it lands on its side. So Trey Songs is against what is basically the the um, the roof of the van, but which has now become the side of the van. Right. And they hear the chainsaw outside just revving, right? And they're like, you know, don't move, don't say anything, Josh. And there's a silence except for the chainsaw. And then suddenly the chainsaw goes out. And then you hear it rev back up again, and it comes right through Trey Songs' chest. Wow. And Alexander Daddario goes to like lunge for him to like help him. 
and he grabs the moving chainsaw with his hands. Oh, wow. And his wow. fingers go flying off into her face. Oh, yes. <laughs> so much better. So In much better. 3D. So much this, better. This is the stuff that just got fucking cut from the movie where I go like, okay, why did we even come up with all these gags? Like, th these were great. Right. I mean, I can use them again in another movie, I guess, but fuck. So, yeah. yeah. So, Adam, so this is the question that I ask anybody and everybody that comes on our show. Cool. And since, you know, you're here, we got to ask it, too. Oh, man. Um, scream. Oh, yeah. movie Scream. Do you consider it a horror movie? <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Adam. No, wait, wait, John, you're goading him now. You're like, you're you're trying to prod him into it. I'm like, you're no, like, no, yeah, guys, think about it. Guys, like, just, you consider just, it a horror movie? I do, and I'll and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why I consider it a horror movie. Thank uh, you. By the way, I got offered that movie. No Mom, way. I, what? I did right after Jason goes to hell. You would have done oh. it better. Wow. Um, I got offered that movie. It was called Scary Movie before yeah, they came scary. on the title screen. Scary right. Movie. Um, and I read it and I was like, this is going to be fucking great. And they, wow. they gave it to me because, because Jason goes hell is so self-referential and has so much comedy in it. Right. Um, so they, they, they had me take a look at the script. I loved it. Um, my agent was in talks with them and that's when Wes came in and said he loved it and wanted to do it. And I was that's like, well, I guess I'm not, I'm not going to make that one. Um, what, but yeah, so dude, after you see after seeing it, like would you have done like any difference to it, or like would the story have stayed the same kind of way? No, no. And in fact, I know that they made a lot of changes from the from the first draft that I read. The, the mm -hmm. script that I read right, was definitely right. different. Here's my problem with Scream. I do have one big problem with Scream. Um, the the movie never recovers from the first eight minutes. That's a good point. So, the first eight minutes is the best scene in that film. In right, fact, that's it's one of point. the best scenes ever shot. Yes, yeah, yes, it is. It's, it's incredible. Fantastic. Yep. The fantastic. problem is, no matter what twist you put on that movie, it's never going to be as good as that first eight minutes. Right. So that is the one thing I've always had a problem with Scream. I'm like, you killed the biggest movie star in the movie in the first eight minutes. And it's an incredible, I mean, you're scared. 35 seconds of that movie, you're like, oh my God, this poor bitch is going to die. She's going to get right. killed. This, oh my God. And then the movie tries to be as scary throughout, and it never mm -hmm. gets to that same place. Right. But I still think it's a great movie. Look, I'm a huge Wes fan. I love Wes. Right. Um, me too. <laughs> I, actually, I actually rated the movie a 9.5. I just don't, for me, it's not a, a horror movie to me. This guy. I have a weird standard here. Do you Get think it's a comedy? Do you think of it as a comedy? No, I don't think it's a comedy. I just think it's a great movie. I just don't think it's a horror movie. I mean, you got to put it somewhere, man. Well, you know, I think okay, I can put it anywhere. Okay, I mean, I got my own well, rankings. That's inter it's interesting. Why do you not consider it a horror movie? Uh, it is a horror movie. I don't know. I, th I think it's because they, they so much on the parody part of it. It's so it kind of gets me got off it. to the side. That's it. Got it. And that's it. Like I love the movie. I absolutely love the movie. Right. It's yes. just like not a horror for me. Just like Mike and Brian and Nico, they all love slasher movies. Where slashers are kind of like you know halfway for me like i love slash some slashers but not all of them they love right. all sure. slashers <laughs> right and and totally. and real quick i think i i said this in our scream episode and since we have you i think scream suffers from scary movies like the you scary know. movie series as being yes. a complete parody people yes. almost confuse the two sometimes i really yes. do think that so well and 
And right. again, you know, when we all saw the movie, look, I saw the movie in the theater when it opened and I was like, this is fucking great. Right. Um, if you see it after you've seen the scary movies movies, it's like, exactly. well, no, then you you fucked that whole thing up. Exactly. Look, the one thing about the screen movies that is a little bit of a pain in the ass for filmmakers, for guys like me, because it exposed the rules of right. the genre so specifically, yeah, right. it, it made our jobs 10 times harder. <laughs> right. like suddenly we couldn't use right. any of those tropes anymore like you're right. not allowed to you know but guys when i first when i was doing jason goes to hell the first thing i was told day one was every seven minutes a fresh kill every seven minutes a fresh pair of breasts in three and a half minute increments let's go <laughs> wow All right. i was I, I was saying i was like 20 what is it what is it 21 or 22 kills in the movie yeah oh, dude yeah it's like 22 we, Jason Goes to Hell, <laughs> I think, has the second biggest body count. I think there's one other. It might be Jason X might have one more kill from uh, than us, only because all those guys at the top of the movie get killed, and you know when he uh, right when right. yeah, but right. but uh, no, we have the most kills. We have yes, twenty three. I just looked. I looked it up on there. It's twenty three. It's count, an insane amount. Yeah, great body count. Yep. Yeah, it, it, no, it's I look, I, guys. Uh, I am I am still to this day very proud of that movie. Um, it's I'm not saying it's not over the top. I'm not saying there's not some ridiculousness to it. There sure is, but it's a movie that look. You know, this is always the litmus test I use. On the night that the movie came out, I the, was playing at a multiplex in L.A. I was playing at you know, thirty multiplexes in L.A., but I, the one that I went to in Westwood had uh it was two theaters and right next door was a movie called Searching for Bobby Fisher. Right. Also mm. going out, right. Yep, yep, yep. And so I um I paid for a ticket for Jason Goes to Hell, but I was like, I do not need to see this fucking movie again. And I walked into <laughs> Searching for Bobby Fisher. I was like, I want to go watch a fucking another movie. So I sit there in a very, you know, like almost nobody was in the theater. And here's the thing, that movie is beautifully made. It's Steve Zalian who wrote Schindler's List, who won the Academy Award for Schindler's List. Uh, it's got, you know, Sir Ben Kingsley and Joan right. Allen and Joe Montaigne. It's an incredible film. When was the last time anybody brought up searching for fucking Bobby Fish? That's a good anybody? point. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Nobody. And Jason goes to hell. A day doesn't go by when I'm not reading something about this fucking movie. And I just right. go, I, like, I'm so blessed to be part of something. Look, honestly, I think the reason it gets more talk than seven, than five, than three is because the fans are divided, because there's this war over it. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll take it. I'll take the controversy. Why not? Right. Let people keep talking about it, you know? Right. Um, and again, I'm grateful to that, but I'm most especially grateful to the fans that keep the movie alive <laughs> and keep it relevant and something that, you know, Guys, it's 26 years since that movie came out, and we're still talking about it. Exactly. And 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 I want to say a lot of times when I watch this movie, mm-hmm. it's in it's in a marathon with the Friday franchise. Mm-hmm. And I've always I'm just gonna tell you off the top, I've always enjoyed the film because when you're watching all these movies back to yep. back to back to back, they all start to feel like the same movie, and yep. bam, here comes goes to hell. And that is why I've always enjoyed it because it is like, wow, this is something different than the last 
eight movies that I just had to watch Thank and you, sit brother. through. Thank so you. I, I've always Thank thought you. it was, look, I'm not, look, it, it may not be the perfect film or anything, but it is a totally. breath of fresh air. And I, I enjoy Thank it because you. of that. Thank you. I really, yeah. I really appreciate that. I really do. Um, and it's why we made it the way we made it. So. Well, Adam, uh, this is Brian. I just wanted to say, uh, I just wanted to tell you, since I have you on here, it was, you know, Jason Goes to Hell is actually the movie that got me into horror in the first place. And I was hearing, I was hearing it, I was in fifth grade and had a, uh, a kid hear uh, tell me about the end scene, you know, on a bus. And I remember it distinctly. And that's what one made me want to go watch it. So I want to say thank you. The, it's surreal to be able to to say that I'm I'm talking to the director of, of the movie that got me into horror all these years later. So thank you again for being Dude, that's on beautiful, tonight. Man, thank you so much. I I can't begin to tell you how much that means to me. Seriously, that's cool freaking for all awesome. of us, man. It's a it's really awesome for all of us to have you on, man. Yes, thank awesome. you so much. For it is out. awesome um, to be here, guys. It really is. By the way, um, the the documentary is going to be fucking incredible. Oh Incredible. yeah! Oh, we're, I'm looking forward to it. To I'm looking. Absolutely. It's I'm crazy. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's 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 badass. We we uh, we just finished scheduling. I was just talking to Kane a couple days ago, and uh, it's amazing how many people are coming back for this thing. Um, we've got 33 interviews from the original film. Oh, that's crazy! That's awesome. So should be pretty epic. Well, well, thank you very much, Adam, for joining us, man. We uh, we appreciate it more than more than anything. So, and I'll touch base, and uh, if you're okay with it, I'm gonna send you a shirt if that's okay. I'd love so. it. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I'd oh, dude, it. that'd be great, man. Excellent. Hey, and real quick, I know at some point we're gonna review Texas Chainsaw 3D. So, if you ever want to hop back on with us, please, no problem. Let's do it, man. Happy to. Well, Happy all, to. That'd be great. Let's you do guys it are again. The badass. Thank you all very right, much, we man. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it, brother. All right, guys. Awesome. Right, we'll, uh, Talk soon. Have a good night, my man. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. You too. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Adam, for coming on. Um, so now I guess we're going to jump into uh, the review just real fast. No, we're not going to go scene by scene or anything. We're just going to all kind of give our own little summary thoughts on uh, on the film, which, man, which kind of after that interview, man, it kind of seems, you know, feels like it doesn't even mean as much now compared to that, compared to what we just listened to. I feel like we just listened to Wes Craven talk almost. Right. Um. All right, so the summary uh, goes, uh, for Jason Goes to Hell, is uh, after being blown away by a team of FBI agents, Jason Voorhees, Kane Hodder, needs to find a way to overcome certain death. When his bloodied remains are sent to the morgue, his heart, still intact, is able to hypnotize a coroner and take over his body. After brutally dispatching a couple of FBI agents, which one of them was Kane Hodder, by the way, he heads back to his favorite stomping grounds, Crystal Lake. Jason commences another teen massacre while a bounty hunter, Stephen Williams, discovers the only way to kill him. So that's the kind of the plot thing. Um, I, I mean, I can go first on the uh, on my, my best and worst kill on the movie. Um, my best kill, obviously, is the tent scene um, where the uh, the camper gets uh, torn in half. Um, I think, honestly, uh, the uh, the dark hearts of uh, uh, Voorhees... Um, uh, documentary that he was talking about a minute ago. Uh, I think both of those actresses are going to be on there. I believe almost everybody is going to probably be on there. So I can't, be great. I can't wait for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my worst kill is there's a scene where Steven's walking through the, uh, or he's in the, um, uh, the police station and, uh, he, um, uh, he, the guy that's possessed, I can't even think of his name right now, uh, slams the two security guards, uh, heads together. Well, right. 
before they even hit together, you can see the the blood part of it. Like, you know, the after effects is already on there. So I guess I think that might have been a little mistake or whatever. So that was kind of that always stands out to me and kind of takes me out of it a little bit. So that's my that's my worst kill. Um, I'll say uh, also there's a really funny kill. I laugh every time um, when they're going through the diner and uh, that one dude's got that shot or one chick's got a shotgun and blows away. Um, right. Blows, you can see the the person in the background gets hit by the bullets, I guess, and dies. So That's... I don't know. It's collateral damage there with uh, with that. I thought it's funny. Um, I'm gonna give the uh, the movie a ranking of seven seven point five somewhere around there. Um, and you know, like I said, it's it's a like I told him, man, it, it got me into horror. So a lot of it's really I not go into watching this movie after watching all the Friday the 13th. It was my very first one, my first introduction. So I didn't have all of that to go back on. I wasn't pissed off that it wasn't Jason the whole time because I hadn't seen anything differently, honestly. So, um, so that's, that's where I was at with that. Um, uh, Mike, do you want to go next? Actually, there's a reason people think that me and you were in cahoots on this show because we literally have the same mind. Here we go. My favorite kill is the tent scene. Maybe you should go next. (laughs) My favorite scene is the tent kill. Uh, where the girl's split in half, and by the way, they it's kind of weird to see people almost replicate that kill in a way because in the movie The Terrifier with Art the Clown, they do a very well, it's very more, it's much more gruesome and bloody. But to spoil the Terrifier for you guys, they kind of reinvent that scene in a way, it's kind of cool, anyway. So, uh, that's my favorite kill. My least favorite kill is actually the reflected gunshot kill where the bullets kind of. Like you spoke about, that's my least favorite kill. I'm also not a huge fan of the way Creighton Duke dies, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I give this movie this. <laughs> this is weird. Just to be different, I'm gonna go ahead and and give it the old seven point seven five, so we don't have the same rating. <laughs> uh, I enjoy this film. I think, and I understand why someone might not enjoy this film, especially if they're a a Friday purist, a traditionalist, a very jason heavy fan and by the way i like jason i'm not here to shit on jason even though people on this show think i do it's not true i like (laughs) jason i love the character of jason Voorhees. however this movie is so different and i'm glad i got to tell i'm glad i got to tell adam this because i've watched this movie nine times out of ten except for this week i normally watch it in succession with all the other movies and it is such a big punch something different something very very off the wall so Again, enjoy the film. 7.75 is my rating. Uh, I understand why it has its haters, but I'm not one of them. All right, I'll go next. Um, favorite kill, I'm agreeing with y'all. I, I really like the girl who gets killed in the tent. Awesome. My least favorite kill, I'm going to go with the guy in the tent because you don't even see it. So I'm just going to assume it's an off-screen kill. You're my least favorite kill. Uh, rating of this movie, if you guys listen to our Friday the 13th Rankings podcast, um, I ranked this movie dead last, but I'm going to, I'm going to revise that list now. Cause when I first watched that movie, heck, I don't even remember where the first, my, the first and only time when I watched it, I was a young kid. Uh, I, I was more of a Jason Pierce. Like Michael said, I'd seen, you know, the, the Jason part six, the part four, the part eight. I saw all of those before Jason goes to hell and I didn't understand. And I didn't know all of the stuff that Adam Marcus dealt with making this movie. I, I wasn't educated on all that. You know, after talking to Brian Moore the past few months, after getting to know him better, learning more about this movie, uh, a fresh rewatch this past week, um, I actually I actually don't hate this movie anymore. I, I really, 
it like like Mike and Brian both said in our review, it is a breath of fresh air. It is it is different in a good way now because when I reviewed it or when I ranked it, I said it was different in a in a bad way. I I take that statement back. Uh, I'm going to give this movie a six point five. Uh, I like I, I really I enjoy the movie. It's 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 very different, but it's definitely worth a watch now. I I, I don't hate it no more. Right. And thank you, Adam, for being on our show. Very much appreciated. Yes. Go ahead, Drew. Uh, yeah, so obviously we all got the same favorite kill, but that favorite kill has a name, boys. Her name is Deborah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, Apologize. that was definitely. My, and I think I think my least favorite kill is probably like the one where, uh, like, they break the wrist and then it like throws them into the door. That was like probably my least favorite. That was probably my least favorite. It was it was still a good kill, but it was my least favorite of those twenty three kills that were throughout the movie. And you know my rankings. You know everybody gives me a little shit about my rankings, but well, I'm gonna actually sloppy. rank. I'm actually they're gonna sloppy. rank this movie a uh, a seven a good ranking. Nice, a good nice. ranking. It's another one of the movies where you know you see it once when you're in a different age, I guess, and you don't really take it. And appreciate it for what it was. Right. And then when I watched it this I watched it four times this week. Four times. Wow. Wow. I was wow. I was really I was I kept watching it because I wanted to nitpick a little bit. And then I kept watching it and I liked it more and more each time I watched it. Right. Oh, your so, opinion definitely changed over the week because when we're texting early on in the week, you're kinda like, oh, I don't know. But towards the end of the week, I I could kind of see you coming around a little bit. You're like, you know, not so bad. I might it might be better than you think. So uh, yeah. well, that's the biggest thing, like with me and y'all, like you guys, you are the slash brothers. You know me, I don't <laughs> the slash the slasher movies are really not my wheelhouse. And now that we're having to, you know, I'm having to watch these and actually actually think about them while I'm watching, I get to like enjoy it a little bit more. And I can be like, well, you know what, I was just like, you know, a little hard headed watching some of the earlier days, right? And and for me, for a lot of people, and apparently Nico as well, there are movies. I watch it one time, and I'm like, nah, I'm good on that. Enjoy, take care. I will go back and give it a second chance, and be like, okay, this isn't that bad. Actually, Saw Two. I'm that way with Saw Two. I'm like, man, f this movie. The first time I saw it, but then I've watched it three more times since, and I actually really love Saw Two. I think it's great. So again, I'm I I completely understand where you're coming from. One thing I forgot to say, um, this movie's special effects are incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I, I oh, forgot yes. to say that in the ra- yes. in my rating. Special effects are amazing in this movie. The the girl getting killed, the guy's like face and body like melting to the ground. Just it's in, awesome. Incredible special effects. Brian, and think, go, and go think ahead, about it this way, Nico. Think how great you think it is right now and think when this movie was made. The lasting effects that it had since, like, it was made in 1993. Or what? Well, it was released in 93, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, 93. Okay. I was two years old. I was, say, I was, I was one. I was two. <laughs> I was one. So the fact that you speak on the special effects really tells you something about well. Absolutely. What I think the effects hold up really well, especially yep. for a 93 movie. And it's kind of fun to know that now what the budget was, how mm-hmm. he was hamstring with that, and still made great effects. So I think that's really good. And look, people are going to hear this like, oh, you're hyping this movie up because you had the director on. No, go back and listen to our ranking show where me and Brian had it much, much higher than most people normally do. 
So just, you know, for pretense. And by the way, opinions can change as well. I've, I've been asked to give my go to hell on this film. Kind of funny because Jason goes to hell in this movie. So I'm actually, I'm actually going <laughs> to give it to Jason for this reason. One, he's barely in this damn movie. It's no fault of it's no fault of anyone. He just barely is. And when he is, I don't think he's that badass. Like there's a lot more badass versions of Jason. So Jason, you can go to hell. I don't I don't <laughs> love his look in this movie either. But that's, yeah, yeah. Me and, and Brian the, differ on right. that. I'm not a big fan of his look. I, I just don't like the mask. I'm not a fan of the way they use the mask here. But again, we learned that that's kind of not that's kind of not Adam's fault. <laughs> yep. Right. Brian, you got those uh, fun facts you want to close us out on? Yeah, sure. So I, I wrote down, too, and I think he even said it during the interview, but I wrote down that, that the tent kill with that girl getting split in two, I think, man, that is probably one of the most violent kills even today that I've ever seen in a horror movie. Like, I mean, and just how good it looks. I mean, just period. It just, that was really incredible. Um, I would love, I can't wait to hear the documentary and see all this stuff about, you know, how they did some of this stuff for sure. Um, some of my fun facts actually he touched on like Kane Hodder portraying both Freddie and Jason, um, on there. Um, another fun fact is, uh, Candyman actor, Tony Todd actually auditioned for the Duke role. Oh, wow. Um, uh, Jason's, uh, eye is on the wrong side. Um, and I don't really like this as a nitpick, honestly. I mean, so, I think Kane Hodder even brought it to their attention that they actually put the hole on the wrong side on the hockey mask. And by then it was too late to, uh, to kind of change it. But I, I don't, how, why are you going to bring up continuity? Because in reality in seven, the mask got torn in half anyway. So I don't really, I don't really like that when people bring that up as a nitpick anyway. Um, uh, Jason's heart that he ate was actually made of uh, gelatin and fruit, so it was disgusting, but it actually was edible. Um, the scene with the campers was uh, the best scene, obviously. It wasn't even added until after. Um, they showed it to a test group audience, and uh, they didn't really respond well. They wanted to see more Jason killing in the, uh, in the forest and, and, you know, in the woods and stuff, and they had to add that back in um, later, which now when you go back and watch the movie, it is kind of like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Um, uh, this movie was actually, according to the thing, was actually almost sent to Los Angeles. It was almost Jason goes to Los Angeles instead of, you know, Jason goes to New York being eight. Eh. It's actually almost goes to Los Angeles. Uh, hell, Los Angeles, whatever. <laughs> um, and let's see, actually, another early version of the script had, uh, had a mad scientist um, like removing Jason's heart, and the twist actually came that it was uh, Elias Voorhees that uh, that did that. So that oh. was an early that was an early version of the script too. So and you and you heard what uh, what Adam said in another version was about it being so dark. Um, uh, I've got uh, two more here actually. Betsy Palmer, the uh, uh, Miss Voorhees from the first one, had turned down the role. They were going to have flashbacks of her, and they actually. Great. And she turned down. Yeah, I think it would have had given it more continuity. It would have given it ties to the other movies, which exactly. is a lot of people. That's a nitpick. It doesn't have. I think it would have given a lot of good ties there. And I think that's about like he said with the uh, with the licensing thing. I think there's just about all he could, they could do to even right. try to tie it in was use that kind right. of stuff. Um, the last thing was the Easter eggs. I mean, he talked about the Book of the Dead, the Necromanicon, um from Evil Dead. There's a, a crate um, from the movie Creep Show in there, and it actually bears the label Arctic Expedition, Julia Carpenter. So that's a, like a nod to the thing. 
Um, and that's uh, that's all the fun fun facts I've got there, guys. Does anybody else have any more of them? Or nope, I'm good. No, uh, no. twenty three kills. Like you said, the most kills ever. And by the way, in the in the Friday franchise, that's saying something. <laughs> it's I mean, it's known for carnage candy, so that's pretty impressive. Yeah, the only thing I want to say at the end is what Mike touched on. Um, when you first see a movie and you hate it, and sometimes giving it a rewatch is definitely a good thing. If there's any movies you have a bad perception on from a younger age, give it another try because, like I said in our rankings, I hated this movie. But after rewatching it, I do. I have a totally different perspective on it. Right. Any, anybody got final thoughts or are y'all ready to close this out? I'm good, brother. Close it out, man. Should have asked him about Laurie Strode dying. I should have done that. Anyway, <laughs> there will <laughs> be another time. opportunity. I'm about to say next time. Next time. Just want to thank everybody for listening. Want to thank Adam Marcus one more time for being on the show. Greatly appreciated. That was, it, I knew it was going to be great, but it blew my mind hearing some of the things he told us. Truly grateful. And next week we're going to be reviewing 2018 Halloween, and we may or may not have another big guest for this review or interview y'all have have a good one multiple guests that's right so stay tuned and i just want to remind everybody to uh don't go out there You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.